Second Kings chapter five. <clears throat> I've been in this section of scripture, and I, uh, well, I moved on, but I've been in it. Uh, but I enjoy this this spot and this area, and um, it just kind of, uh, I don't know. I just I like reading about Elijah and Elisha. Uh, their life, what God used through them, what they did, and uh, uh, I think just like any part of the Bible, we can find uh, truth anywhere, and we can apply it. Uh, we were talking on Sunday school, we were in Romans 15, where it talks about, I don't remember exactly how the verse is worded, but it basically says things that were written aforetime were for our learning. You know, things that are in the Old Testament are for us today as well, uh, and I'm thankful for that. I'm glad we can glean uh, from it, even though... We don't live in a culture that's anywhere near this. We don't live, uh, the time is very, uh, you know, I mean, a huge amount of time has passed, different part of the world, different language, yet because of the power of God's word and that, you know, as Bob was saying this morning, there's power in it and there's still power even in the Old Testament, even when nothing uh, is similar to where we're at right now in our culture and life to what it would have been there, but we can see uh, you know, we can see great truth, and I'm thankful for that. His word's alive. Uh, it is not outdated, and I'm thankful. But Second Kings uh, chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1, go a few verses, and then skip uh, and pick back up. But Second Kings 5 verse 1, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, where would God, my Lord, where the wherewith the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. So we're going to skip down to verse 9, but in between is they go send basically a messenger with a gift of silver and gold and a letter uh, to the king uh to the king of Israel from the king of Syria, asking him to cure Naaman of his leprosy. And the king of Israel gets frustrated and basically says, am I a God that I could do this? Uh, but then Elisha the prophet tells the king to send Naaman his way. So then we're going to pick up verse 9. Uh, so Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought uh, he will surely come out to, to me, and stand, and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Are not uh, Abana and far, far rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? 
Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like into the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for its truth. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me to preach tonight. Lord, that you'd touch my throat. Lord, that you would help... Um, Fill me with the unction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, open up our ears and our hearts tonight, Lord, for what you have for us. And Lord, I pray that your word would come alive. We could apply it to our life. We could grow closer to you. And again, we're thankful for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. amen. So Naaman, we see in verse 1, there's a lot of things packed into this verse. You see, now Naaman, he was the captain of the host of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master. He was honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor. So there's a lot of things we can get out of there. He's a military leader for the Syrians. And we know that the Syrians were normally enemies of the Israelites. They had fought many times. Uh, but this verse says that he was honorable. And one thing that you can't miss, it says, because the Lord had given a deliverance unto Syria. That means that the Lord of Israel helped the Syrians through Naaman to gain victories. And in fact, gain victories over Israel. So we see, uh, and, and one of the things this would have included before was remember when King Ahab went into battle and he was killed. Uh, that was probably one of the things that this is talking about in the verse. Uh, the Lord had used the enemies of Israel against them in judgment. We've seen that multiple times, haven't we? He does. Now, whenever he does that, remember uh, that enemy does not get a free pass forever. He will judge the enemy later, right? But uh, but he uses the enemies. And here's the thing that blesses me, because some people might get scared of it. They're like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I like that. God using, uh, you know, our enemies against us. But to me, this is a reminder that God is in control. Amen. God's in control. If he can use his enemies to do his will, He's in control, right? There's nothing he can't do. And that's a reminder right there. So Naaman, he's a successful leader. He's honorable. He's loved by his master. He's a mighty man in valor. You think about that. He is successful, it looks like, in just about every part of his life. He's a successful man. He would have been well-liked and everything else, but everything is great until you get to the last five words at the end of the verse, but he was a leper, right? There's the problem right there. And in, in the Bible, leprosy is always a picture of sin. It's that disease that starts in the inside uh, uh, with the nervous system and works its way outside. It can start with just a small little blemish, a small little spot, and it would just keep growing and growing uh, until it affected the entire body. And that, in Bible times, leprosy was a death sentence. They didn't have a cure for it. Uh, it was very contagious and everything else. But what it would do is it would shorten the people's life and it would disfigure them. It would do those things. And you think about, uh, you know, one of the things that amazed me when I did some research about this a long time ago is the fact that it, remember I said it works on the nervous system. One of the things it affects is, you know, they can't feel, they start to not be able to feel things like fingers and toes. And when you can't feel things, you don't feel pain. And the reason we feel pain is to get us to get our hand off the stove and everything else. You don't do that. You're going to start injuring yourself and not even realizing it. 
And then all of a sudden, as things get infected and, and, and problems happen with the skin, then, you know, things need to be amputated or in those days, things would fall off, you know, fingers and stuff. So Israel was, in fact, one of the only places that isolated lepers because God told them to. Before they knew they needed to do that, God told them to do that. But one of the things uh, we see is this invisible infection that just slowly dominates that person's life, right? It starts on the inside and works its way outside, making the body deformed and ugly and making the body numb. That's just what sin does, right? It works on the inside, and a lot of times you don't see the effects for a while, uh, but it goes to the outside, and it makes them numb. You know, at first, you know, when you sin against God, you feel bad about it, but after a while, people don't feel bad anymore. They get excited about the sin. And in Bible times, there was no cure. Only God could have cured it. But God had instructions in the law. This is what always kind of blows my mind. He had instructions in the law to what you would do after you were cured of leprosy, even though there was no cure. So you think about this description of leprosy, especially the Bible description and how, you know, the spiritual... Uh, effects and connotations of it but you should realize that Naaman uh, really he's an example of a lot of people today no not military leaders not military leaders and things like that but I'm talking about people that are successful in every part of their life right you look at them and they look successful you know whether you're looking at the house or the family or the uh, or the job or whatever you're looking at them you're saying wow they've got it all together right there everything they do seems to be successful whatever business they start is you know always takes off and everything else but the problem was remember but he was a leper and he had that physical disease, but the Bible's always pointing towards a spiritual disease of sin. And we know an awful lot of people around us that are successful in a lot of ways, but they're a sinner. Amen? But they're a sinner. And the world does, they like to cut off that last part. We know people like this. Some of us, family, friends, co-workers, everything else. So what happens? We see in verse 2, And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. So Naaman had taken her captive. And one of the military battles and one of the raids or whatever, he stole her from her family when she was young, uh, turned her into a servant working for his wife. And I think sometimes we miss the importance of that detail right there. I mean, Joseph, we get more, uh, a lot more verses to describe it, but she has kind of the same situation as Joseph, getting un, you know, unfairly thrown into being a servant in a foreign land at a young age, right? It's the exact same thing. But we know from verse 1, remember what it said? Uh, in verse 1, it said that uh, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. It was actually the Lord's will based on verse 1 that she was taken captive. And that's hard. That's hard for us to realize that the Lord allowed Naaman to be victorious. He allowed her to take this young maid out of her home and basically force her into slavery. Right? It, it had been a painful time in her life. 
And in that, you can't realize the Lord's will right in the middle of that. I don't believe Joseph realized that all of these things were of God's will until after he became, you know, second in command and after he was able to save uh, Egypt and save his own brethren and everything else. I think then he realized you meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. I don't think that happened the day uh, he was taken captive. And here's the situation in you know, you would think, how is she going to respond? But really, how would we respond? How do we respond when we're put in a difficult position? And a lot of times we don't realize that God is doing th some of these things for the good, right? For our good, for others' good, for him to get his glory. So how does she respond? Verse 3, she said unto her mistress, would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. See, that young maid could have resented her master. She could have been mad at the situation. She could have been frustrated. She could have blamed God, she, uh, you know, because God allowed the enemy to take her. Uh, she could have been mad that she was separated from her family. Or she could at least just not care, right? She could do her work, but not really care about Naaman, her master. Those are natural responses, right? Those are things that you would naturally feel. But she was not like that. She cared enough to speak up, and not only that, she says, for he would recover him of his leprosy. That's faith, right? That's faith right there. Not he might be able to recover. He will recover, right? That's amazing that she would say that. And I think that she believed that God, working through his prophet, would be able to heal him fully. Amen. And remember... That leprosy, that disease, you know, you could see it on the outside, but, you know, so the leper would know they're a leper once they see it, once they're told and diagnosed and everything. But, you know, there's a lot of sinners walking around that they don't even know their condition. Yeah. They don't even know where they're at. They don't even know that they're headed to hell. And see, our job is harder than the maid. Right. Our job to tell. Right. Be, we can we see the maid tells him about the cure. Right. Uh, if you go to the God's man, if you go to the prophet, uh, God can heal you of your leprosy. There's no cure down here on this earth. There's no medicine. There's no doctor. But God can cure you of that. Yeah. And see, she's giving him the cure. But today, when we're talking to sinners, we have to tell them they have a disease and then tell them there's a cure. Yeah. It's not easy, is it? You're trying to convince someone who thinks everything's all right, who thinks everything's fine. Imagine that maid trying to go uh, to Naaman and say you're a leper without him knowing it or seeing it. He probably wouldn't have believed it. But I'm glad that even though our job is harder than hers, we're not doing this alone. Amen? We have help. We've got God on our side, and most importantly, we've got the Holy Spirit touching hearts of anyone that we're witnessing to. And I'm thankful for that. I'm glad he's, he's touching their heart while he's giving me things to say. There are so many times where I've talked to people, and they've said something, and I had no clue how I was going to respond. 
But aren't you glad you can say, God, help me in your mind. And just like that, he's given me something that I might have been able to think of if I was sitting there thinking about it for five hours and praying over it. He gave it just to me like that. He's brought verses to my mind I haven't read in a long time and everything else. And he is helping us. Yes, the work is hard. Yes, it's hard to witness to people. But I'm glad that God is helping us. Amen. He's there. He's helping See, today, right, what do they think of? What sins do people think of today? The list has gotten shorter and shorter as the years have gone by. In fact, now I think murder is the only thing left, just about. They'll allow everything else. And in fact, murder, uh, you know, outside of an unborn baby, they're, they're okay with that. I mean, this is all that's left, right? They don't think lying is a problem, right? They don't think, uh, they don't think uh, uh, relations out of marriage is a problem. They don't think... Uh, you know, two of the same sex together are a problem. They don't believe any of those are a sin or anything else. So how do you convince people of this? Well, we got to give them the truth of the Bible. We got to give them the truth. And if you're honestly looking into the Bible, the Bible's list of sin is long. There's a long list. And there's ones that we don't always think of. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. All of those are sins. Bitterness, yes. Bitterness, it's in there. Put it away. Clamoring, loud arguing. That's all that means. Both are sins. Revelation 21.8, I talked about liars. Revelation 21.8 says, And all liars shall have their part in the lake uh, fire which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death all liars even little white liars mark 7 21 blasphemy pride foolishness jesus said those by the way blasphemy and pride my goodness pride has i mean you see it all the time People, they are so proud of themselves. They're, look what I've done. Look what I've built. Look what I've accomplished. And then foolishness, man, that's everywhere. 2 Timothy 3.2, disobedient to parents and then unthankful. I read that one and it worries me. Unthankful. Unthankful is a sin. And then, of course, James 2.10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, is guilty of all. And this is what we've got to show them. We've got to say, hey, you might have followed these, and you might have stayed away from these sins or whatever. You might have not murdered. Uh, you know, that's great. But it says if you've committed one, if one time in your entire life you were unthankful to God, that's a sin. Yeah. And that's enough. One time of foolishness. One lie, one time of bitterness and wrath and anger, one time of evil speaking, and on and on and on. That's why the Bible can say without a problem, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All our righteousness is of filthy rags. None, there's none that doeth good. None of us can make it if we're doing it on our own works. And it's not easy, right? This is the part that's not easy. But I'm here to tell you, we can't skip this step. We can't, right? You can't skip the step because then there's no need for salvation. 
What did Paul say? 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And I think the more that we understand what sin really is according to the Bible and we really realize how often we sin every single day throughout the day, then we can truly realize how far apart we are from a holy God. And once we realize it ourselves, we can share that with other people. And then, I, and here's the thing, sometimes we, we get into our mind that all of these sins, man, that it just makes things worse. No, what it does is it shows us how far apart God is from us and then how far he came to get to where we were at and still live a sinless life and still take his sin all of our sins onto himself onto the cross and die for our sins if there's that many sins that each of us have committed multiplied by the entire world by everyone that's ever lived all of that that he took to the cross his mercy is bigger than we ever imagined that's why we've got to be clear with them. So then Naaman, verse 6, he comes with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. And then he goes on and then turned away and went. And turned and went away in a rage. So he's mad. I'm an important man. I'm a leader in Syria. I'm a military man. We've defeated you before. I'm coming to you and you won't even come out to talk to me. Right? That was his first problem. And then the instructions. Go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and shall be clean. So he's mad, number one, that Elisha won't personally speak with him. But also, did you notice verse 11? He's, he was wroth and went away and said, what did he say next? Behold, I thought. And then goes on to say how he thought he should have been healed by Elisha. Oh my goodness. Haven't you ran into that before? Well, I thought... You know, when you talk about what it takes to get to heaven, who Jesus is, and everything else. Well, I thought, or I think, you know, Jesus is this. Or I think getting to heaven is this way or that way. And I'm reminded whenever I read something like that. First day of law school. We're sitting there. And one of these hot shots over here starts to say, well, I think the law should be. And that professor stopped him right there and said, are you a judge? Are you a politician? Are you a governor or president? And when he said no to all those, he said, I guess it doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> and I chuckled. <laughs> but it's true. And realize when it comes to God, and it comes to his word and his plan and his salvation and his expectations and his instructions and what he says it takes to get to heaven. And we say, I think it should be something else. God's saying the same thing. I don't care what you think. I'm God. And if we will admit it, his way is much better than our way anyway. I tell you what, if I was God, I wouldn't let hardly anyone into heaven. Right? I'd let myself. 
very few other people, right? Isn't that how we look at people? I'm glad God's not that way. So he gets these instructions. He's, he's thinking, and he's got this own way. He wants Elijah to come, stand, call on the name of the Lord, strike his hand, you know, and recover, do all these certain things. And right in this, our problem. Remember, the first problem was convincing somebody when you're trying to spread the gospel that they're a sinner, right? That's the first problem. Then the second problem is they're prideful. They have their own way to heaven, right? That's the second problem. And here's the thing, his pride almost kept him from getting healing, yeah. right? Almost. And again, I believe there's a spiritual picture here too. I believe that people's pride have kept them from Jesus Christ because yeah. they refuse to bow down. Remember, he brought, they brought silver and gold and all these gifts and everything else. I mean, they had all kinds of stuff that they were going to buy this for, Right? He didn't need any of it. And then he's coming personally, right? And refusing to humble himself. And that wasn't going to work either. And that's a direct correlation to salvation, right? You and I can't buy it. Thank goodness. Because what if we didn't have enough money to pay the price? I'm glad he paid the price. But I'll tell you what, we're not going to come. Nobody's coming to Jesus pridefully. You're going to come in a contrite spirit, you're going to come broken. You're going to come repentant. And that's how Naaman ended up having to do it. And that, that servant said something so interesting to him. Say, hey, if he made you do some grand thing, you would have done it. Man, I, I, I read things like that. And it saddens me. Because I'll tell you what, we get up and we share the gospel. And we share how simple it really is. Even, we've got children. And I myself, as a young Boy, you know, coming to Jesus Christ, it's not that hard. You don't have to travel halfway around the world. You don't have to do all these extravagant things. But you do have to humble yourself. You do have to admit you're a sinner. You do have to call on Jesus' name for salvation, but it's free. And in those simple steps, man, if I told people they had to do this, that, and the other, and go through all these levels and everything else, they would rather do that than just merely call on Jesus' name. It's sad. It's sad. He tried to buy it, but his money couldn't help him. He knew how to fight. Remember, he was a military captain, but he was fighting a disease with no cure, and he couldn't accept Elisha's instructions. And then he wants to go wash in the rivers in his own country, right? What do we, we get this a lot too. They don't want our Jesus. They don't want the Jesus of the Bible. They want their Jesus that they've invented, that they've created, right? The Jesus that loves me, the Jesus that's my pal, the Jesus that's accepted everything. Uh, he's okay with my sinfulness and everything else. That made up Jesus. I already said it in Sunday school this morning. I let the cat out of the bag. I said that made up Jesus that this world has invented never died on the cross. Right. And they're saying, now, wait a second, Mike, what do you mean? He couldn't have died on the cross. Because if they're saying nothing that they're doing is sinful, then he didn't even need to come. Right. right? What's he dying for? Amen. Their Jesus just showed up, healed a couple people, went back to heaven. I'll tell you what, that Jesus won't. He can't forgive sins because he didn't die for sins. I'm glad our Jesus is the real one that died for our sins and that we realize that we are sinners and found forgiveness for him. 
But you know who that made up Jesus is? He's got a name. It's Lucifer, the devil, Satan, the dragon, all those names. It's him. He's the fake Jesus that never died for anybody. In fact, he, he loves it when you call him Jesus and, and, and follow this made up stuff. It's sad, but it's true. That's why there'll be a lot of people that say, what did Jesus say? They'll say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? You got the name right, but not the person. That's right. He said, I never knew you. Amen. I don't know what Jesus you were working for, but it wasn't me. And that's sad. So people are seeking healing. They're trying to get something this world can't offer. They sometimes they'll walk into a church, they'll listen, they'll hear the gospel message. And what do they do? They get angry, right? It's not what I thought. This is not what I wanted. This is not the way I thought I was going to come in here and the preacher was going to say this, right? I thought this was the way to Jesus. I thought this was how I could do it. And they leave just as angry as Naaman. But Jesus said himself, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If we want healing, if we want forgiveness of sins, we want a new life in Jesus Christ, I'm glad it's all freely available and it doesn't take silver and gold, but you got to come to Jesus and you got to come his way. Amen. You got to come his way. And I'm glad again, I said, it's simple. Romans 10, nine, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shall be saved. This picture that we see in this story is a beautiful picture again of forgiveness of sins but we also see uh, a lot of the problems when we go to sharing it but aren't you glad that Naaman eventually realized what he realized you know what I'm going to do what God's man said to do and what did he find he found healing he dipped seven times and he came out with no leprosy at all now you go to the next chapter and he tries to give Elisha this huge gift, right? Everything. Elijah says, I don't want it. Elisha, I don't want that gift. I don't want it. Remember his servant goes out, runs later, catches him and says, well, how about if we take a little silver and a few changes of clothes, right? I'm paraphrasing. And then Elisha, he hides it, comes back to Elisha. And Elisha knows what he's done. He says, now Naaman's leprosy is going to be on you for the rest of your life. Mm. You're thinking, man, that's a severe penalty. You want to know what something I found in the Bible? The most severe penalties, especially in the Old Testament, are for those that have broken a picture of salvation. Right? If, if Elisha would have accepted the gift it would have been almost as payment yeah. for the healing. There is no payment for healing. Right. You come, uh, we get to lead somebody to the Lord, we're not asking for money afterward. It's free. Yeah. The gospel's free, everything's free. But he broke that picture, and that's why the leprosy. Same thing, uh, remember Moses couldn't go into the promised land. Why? He smote the rock the second time instead of speaking to the rock. We're not putting him on the cross twice. It's only once. You want to come to Jesus after the cross? 
You do it by speaking to him, calling on his name. Severe penalty. You can see it over and over again. Aren't you glad his word is true? I was sharing the other, yesterday, with Lucian, I said, uh, you know, I took a class, you know, we were talking about, uh, he had went to seminary and I had done some, uh, got a less degree than he did, uh, but we were talking about it and I said, yeah, I, I'll never forget this one class. I think it was a class about preaching. That's what makes it even worse. We read this book and it uh, talked about the Old Testament and it said the Old Testament is only good for historical. You can only use it for historical. That's it. You can't use it for morality, spiritual things, anything like that. I read that line and I was so angry. I had to write some kind of report or review about the book and of course I did not give it uh, a good light at all and I pointed that out and I, I basically told that professor, I said, listen, I've been preaching about you know, a handful of years now, it wasn't very long at the time, I said, but about half my messages are in the Old Testament. This guy is telling me I need to throw all those away and none of them are any good. I said, that's ridiculous. Not only is it ridiculous, remember what we just talked about in Romans, the things that were written aforetime were for our learning today. I'm glad we're not throwing out the Old Testament. We're going to use it we're going to figure out what happened in that day and then see with God's help how we can apply it to today. Aren't you glad? I know it's hard to spread the gospel because you got to convince them they're a sinner first and then you got to let them know that there's only one way to the cure, one way to Jesus. But as hard as it is, we're not doing this alone. You're not trying to sell them something and it's just you versus them. We're trying to lead them into a new life, into eternal life with Jesus Christ. And he's helping us the whole way.